Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is powered by Christianity Today. Hey everyone, happy Monday. It's Doug here. Really excited to be with you. Um, JR is not in the studio with me this morning, and by studio I mean my kitchen table. Uh, which, but the studio sounds really cool when I say that. Uh, super glad to, yeah, just to have a couple couple of minutes with you all today. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on the intro because I want to leave some space for uh, the interview with Dr. Daniel Bruner. Um, he was one of my professors out at Portland Seminary. And uh, beyond that, he's just a really cool guy. And I think he has an important word for us as pastors, especially as we think about the months of the summer that are coming up and what it is to develop healthy relationships, especially around what it is to develop good friendships. So I hope you enjoy this interview that we have coming up. There won't be any outro. Um, I'll include a f- all the resources in the show notes. And again, if you haven't already, we would ask uh, if, if you could subscribe uh, and feel free to leave an amazing review for this podcast. Dr. Daniel Bruner is a professor of Christian history and formation at Portland Seminary, where he has served since 1995. Before joining the team at Portland Seminary, he served as a full-time pastor in Beaverton, Oregon. He belongs to Urban Abbey, which is an intentional community in North Portland, and is passionate about his family, including his three granddaughters, good friendships, his garden, and an early morning time of quiet to pray, drink freshly roasted coffee, reflect, and journal on scripture. He's a lifelong reader and a lifelong learner. He also is a fan of the Oregon Ducks, the Seattle Mariners, the Trailblazers, and the Seattle Seahawks. As a lifelong Lutheran, he has served the church in many capacities, including the director of youth ministry, associate pastor, and church planner. He is currently a member of Salt and Light Lutheran Church in Portland and is a frequent guest preacher at other local churches. He leads seminars, adult forums, Myers-Briggs trainings, and retreats and is on the permanent teaching team for the the Academy of Soul Formation. But beyond all those things, I'm grateful to have Dr. Bruner with us. He was one of my favorite professors while I was in seminary at Portland. Uh, Other than his really cool bow ties that he wears on a regular basis, I was deeply shaped, and he has deeply shaped my ministry in understanding the paradox of the Christian life and the way that God is present in all the things, the good and the bad. So I'm really grateful that we have an opportunity to sit down with my friend, Dr. Daniel Bruner. Dan, I'm really glad to be with you today. It's it's been a few years, but uh, thank you so much for being open and available to to spend some time with me today. It's great to be here, Doug. Like like I told you, this is my first time on a podcast. So um, I, who knows? Here we go. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that because I feel like uh, this will be the first of many. I've just always appreciated. Uh, we we had this thing. I don't know if you ever, if you knew this. And so um, I, I let some folks know beforehand that one, my, my context with you is you are a professor of mine and uh, me and, and, and Tempest, we used to sit in the back during your class and there would be these moments where she'd look and she'd go, you just got Bruner, didn't you? And I would say, yes, we did. So we just always appreciated just the wisdom and not only the wisdom. And I think the reason why you really came up for the Monday morning pastor is you really just strike this balance of being, you know, that raw and honest and hopeful, uh, in the midst of just what I've gotten to know of you over the years. And so just really grateful to have you with us. And so I figured it'd be a great place to start with. Tell us some of your story, 
um, as a pastor and even moving into academia or even as a coffee uh, coffee connoisseur. Either way, but we'd love to hear some of your story, Dan. Well, the, the coffee connoisseur is probably the easiest one. I live in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we, there are more. They're actually historic. From what I understand, there's more per capita coffee shops in Portland than anywhere else in the world. And so a lot of independent coffee shops, but we've got our Starbucks and stuff like that too. But my, uh, I actually have a, a coffee roaster that I share with a friend. And so I roast my own coffee. And yeah, I am a snob. I'm an elitist. And, <laughs> and I, um, I don't know. There's probably a level of sanctification in there that needs to happen in terms of those <laughs> things. But, but who knows? Um, oh my goodness. You know, I was, I, my father's a, a minister. I'm actually a part of the Lutheran church. And uh, my father was a Lutheran pastor, still is a Lutheran pastor. He's 92 years old and um, has retired. But um, so I was raised in the church. It, it was the thing that I knew. Um, I went to Bible school. I went to a Christian college. Um, but the, early on, the one thing that I swore I would never be was a pastor. And and somehow in in Bible school and and that which is going to relate to a whole bunch of things in in, in part, uh, but when I was in Bible school, I felt the, I felt a call. I felt a call into ministry, and so I I spent five years as a director of youth ministry at a church, and then went to Fuller Seminary where I did my MDiv, and then just really. I, I I look at coincidentally, providentially, however you want to see it. The opportunity came for me to study overseas. So um, I, I, right after seminary, I went to Oxford, England. I did my PhD there, and um, but with the intention, when I was done with my what they call a DPhil, when I was done with my my doctorate, that I would return to the church. That was my goal all along. I didn't imagine mm. a career in academia. Um, I, 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 I have always loved the local church, and and uh, so when I came back. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I spent a year as an intern and then was ordained in the Lutheran church and spent five and a half years as an associate pastor at a church, um, here in the Portland area. Um, then again, through some odd circumstances, and I, I look back and I, you know, just the way life has unfolded, um, I got an opportunity to teach and, uh, that opportunity came Ugh, um, uh, mostly because of my wife. My wife was in a master's program uh, to to prepare to be a, a Christian therapist, and um, uh, they they lost their church history professor, and they said, "Hey, do you want to come teach for a year?" And I was at a transition point, and I said, "Sure." So I I, I came to teach, and um, and I did that, and I still am. I'm still a teacher, but then for mm. about ten years after that. Um, I helped to plant a church. So for about 10 to 11 years um, after I began teaching, I was both a part-time church planter and a, a professor. And then uh, for a whole bunch of different circumstances we can talk about later, um, for the last 10, 11 years, I've just been a professor and uh, mm -hmm. still care deeply about the local church and, and active in my church, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not pastoring uh, anymore. Man, I, I love that. I, first of all, I appreciate your story. And it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to see the way that God moves in the midst of 
all the different circumstances of life and even like the fact that I, I could just picture you in Oxford. Maybe is that where you you adopted the bow tie at first or or like where did the bow tie come in? <laughs> the bow tie, I have always had a fascination <laughs> with bow ties. I'm not wearing one now. I probably could have, but I, I every time I teach publicly, I wear a bow tie I and and a sweater vest. So I can't explain it. It's it's just an oddity of of but but I will say Oxford's filled with eccentrics, and so mm. it certainly could. It certainly uh, was reinforced <laughs> by what I experienced when I was in Oxford. Oh man! So and again, what I appreciate is you still have a lo- even though you may not be pastoring in a local church, you are you are equipping pastors. You are still deeply connected in a local church. So. What was that story for you when moving out of ministry? Like, how did you kind of know it was time to get out of pastoral calling? Yeah, so this takes uh, takes me into another part of the story, actually. Uh, uh, at, back in 1995, so I'd been pastoring for, actually, this is really interesting. So, uh, well, it's interesting to me. <laughs> I never know what's actually interesting. <laughs> um, uh, when I When I left my my first call my first parish when i left there uh, and began teaching within one month uh, uh within a month of having started to teach uh, uh my wife had a grand mal seizure and we found out that she had a brain tumor uh, a cancerous brain tumor and and so um that she wound up having that tumor for and and living with chemotherapy and radiation therapy and everything she lived for another 13 years um, uh, and, and during that time we planted a church, I mean, it helped to plant a church. So she was, um, she, one of the most courageous people that I've, that I've known. Um, I, after I'd been 11 years with this church plant and was one of the founders, it just, it, it's, it's actually literally the hardest decision I've ever made, um, in hmm. terms of my vocation. Um, it just, I began to sense, I think it's time for me to move on. I, I just. I had this feeling. Um, uh, once I made that decision, it was really interesting. Uh, my my closest friend, uh, who 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 lived in who lives in, who still lives in Iowa, um, he said to me, "Dan, I've known for for twelve months that this was time." Mm. And my uh, my wife said to me, "I've known for eighteen months that it was time." And I kept saying to them, well, "Why didn't you tell me?" <laughs> and they just said, "No, no, you needed to do this on your own." So I uh, left the church full time, my 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 part time ministry as a, as a pastor in 2008, and about 15 months later, my wife died, and mm-hmm. and so I think that in in the in the in the wonder of God, I guess I, I I'm not quite sure how to understand it. Um, uh, looking back, it, it I wonder why I didn't see it sooner, um, uh, but I I was so grateful once I left. It, that that last year of life to of my wife's life to be able to um, be more present to her journey was was something I look back on with a deep sense of gratitude. So um, yeah, which I didn't see at the time. You know, it just mm. it just it's just how wound, it wound up unfolding. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Like uh, I think there are these times in in pastoral ministry when we definitely feel like you know, people around us are seeing things that we're not fully aware of yet. And the gift of community 
and how, but even in, even in the gift of community, even the gentleness of how sometimes God just allows us to sort of make decisions that sort of move a direction. And then we're like, man, I really thinking this into the, you know, the chorus of people around you like, yeah, we've known this for a while. Um, what does it look like to develop? I, one of the things that we hear all the time from pastors is, is we hear a lot of pastors say like, man, I don't have a lot of friends. We're like, I'm just struggling to have deep, meaningful relationships. Um, you know, what role do you see relationships playing in the life of pastors and the life of, you know, even just followers of Jesus? Yeah, I mean, Doug, you've raised, and this is such a huge question, and I think it's so important. I, uh, I, I remember part of my journey, and again, my father was a minister, and so, uh, and, and part of my journey is that I, I, I've spent quite a bit of time in therapy. Um, I, I've had to work out why did I go into ministry? Was it just because my dad was, and I didn't know anything different, et cetera, et cetera. So, and one of the things I realized in, in therapy was my need for friends. And, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, just from a personal perspective, which is really kind of narcissistic if you think about it, you know, I, in order to be a healthy person, I need a friend, you know, I, I don't need a friend because of a relationship. I need a friend because narcissistically I need to be healthy. Um, it was, <laughs> it, it, but I had, I had others who were, asking, Dan, do you have a mirror? Do you have accurate mirrors in your life? Do you have people who are reflecting back to you? And, and, and usually when we think about this, we usually think about accountability. You know, do you have people reflecting back to you, your brokenness? Um, do you have, do you have people that you can confess to? And that's significant. That's important. But actually, more important to me is, do you have people who reflect back to your belovedness? Do you mm. have people who can reflect back to you your goodness, that they see the gifts that are within you before you see them yourself? And so I realized I didn't really have that person in my life or those people in my life. You know, my wife was great um, and very affirming, but you can't trust her, you know. Pastors right now are like, amen. <laughs> or their husbands are yeah. like, I can't trust yeah. him. <laughs> so uh, honestly, Doug, if I'm going to be honest about this, I spent three years looking for a friend. Mm. And I, um, I, I would take men. Um, I tried to find men from outside my congregation. Now, that was just my own personal belief system. Um, that uh, others say that they can do that within the congregation. I, d I found the boundaries of a friend within the congregation to be something that I didn't want to have to deal with. So I went outside the congregation mostly. And um, I literally, I know this is this, this, this um, sounds stunning, I suppose, but I would, we would go to Starbucks and we'd sit over a cup, cup of coffee and I would say, do you want to be my friend? Mm. I, I would literally say, do you, do you want to be my friend? I spent three years looking for friends. And, and people would, of course, they'd say, sure, I'll be your friend. And then nothing happened. You know, I'll be your friend. And finally, um, I took uh, actually one of my former students, honestly. So there's a 17-year difference between us. And we went out for coffee. And, and uh, I said, Scott, do you want to be my friend? And he said, yes, I do. And then he said, you want to go to a movie? Mm. He says, you want to come over and watch a game? And, hmm. and uh, uh, we began this long journey that still goes on to this day. So um, we uh, we love movies, we love sports. Um, uh, it was so interesting because 
I found someone that did uh, that I knew loved me, that mm. I knew saw goodness in me, and I found someone that I could be accountable with, that I could talk to about my journey. I, I will say, as Scott's and my friendship has developed, um, grace trumps almost everything at this point. So even when we're being we're kind of making confession to one another, we're kind of like poo pooing it and just going. Oh yeah, well, don't worry about that, Scott. You know, <laughs> and really, probably, you know. So we we both still need spiritual directors, therapists, and stuff like yes. that. Yes, yes. Uh, mostly, it's a, a a place of grace. And I remember my wife once saying to me, and uh, uh, and 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 I don't 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 miss don't mishear this because it was said completely out of love and gratitude. She said, "Dan, sometimes Scott's a better wife to you than I am." Mm. And and understanding that there were things that with her cancer and with her, the struggle that she had in her own life and what does it mean to be a mom with cancer and what are, what's, what are my kids going through and all this kind of stuff that she didn't need another. <laughs> so with just hanging on her, her, her apron strings. And so, you know, for her, it was, you know, she understood. I shared things with Scott that I could never share with her. And, and, uh, uh, and it was, it was powerully and importantly healing. And, and Scott's still that friend to me. I mean, we still text, mm. call each other multiple times a week. I, I think that's, I, I, I just love the, the brilliance of, you know, will you be my friend? Yeah, do you want to go see a movie? It's like, that is such a beautiful statement. I think it's hard though, right? Because, you know, you name something that I think a lot of pastors n- struggle to name. That it is just, it's some of us are in this, in ministry and there's like this, there's this narcissism that kind of lies beneath it. And there's this, I need to be needed. And it's difficult because in a friendship, it really has nothing to do about being needed because you also need that person. And I think that there's such a gift uh, to pastors when, when we actually submit ourselves to that and to say, yes, like, what does it look like to just sit down and go to a ball game with a friend? And um, yeah, what a gift that, what a gift that is. Um, So if, you know, if just thinking through like, man, if there's a pastor who's sitting here, hearing this, and he's just like feeling, or she's feeling super lonely, like, well, how would you encourage them today? That's such a great, it's such a great question. Um, I, I, um, especially in COVID, I mean, in the pandemic, it is so hard because you can't just go to a Starbucks or a coffee shop or whatever. I mean, there's all these restrictions and, and things like that. Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I have the advantage now of being in a seminary where I do, I share some of these stories with my students. And I, I say to them, um, you may want to consider starting to build those friendships now uh, mm. because um, once you get into ministry, it can be very, very complicated. Uh, so I, um, I, I have, you know, how can I encourage them? I, um, uh, man, especially with regard to loneliness, um, I honestly, I had to start, I'll be very frank. I had to start with a therapist. Mm. I, I, um, I, before I found Scott, I, the only place that I could go, I mean, a number of authors write about this that 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 therapists have taken over the role that was usually mm. reserved for priests in confession 
And we Protestants, you know, we, we lost that whole James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. We've completely lost that. And and because we can go directly to God. And of course we can. Theologically, of course we can. But we've lost something in that whole equation. And so that role, that need that we have is either played by 12-step groups or uh, through therapy um, or spiritual mm. direction. So now I, I don't I don't go to a therapist. Now I go to a spiritual director. But but it was I had to do some internal work. I had to do some emotional, psychological work. And I spent a number of years in therapy uh, uh, before um, before I was actually ready for a friendship, Doug. I mean, it it mm. it it um, that would that prepared me as much as anything. And then uh, and and then it was at my therapist, you know, encouragement says, so you know, mm. This is great. You come here once a week or once every other week, whenever it is. Uh, but uh, there's probably you're ready for a friendship. Yeah. Wow. Well, I I think that there's such simple, practical, and yet also very profound things in that statement of being open to therapy and also just realizing that it it is it's preparation. It's kind of it's not an easy task. It's not an easy task. No, I mean I I mean I know that so, and within certain church circles, therapy still has a negative type thing and i um i just you know to me <laughs> you, you know if i had a frozen shoulder once and and uh it just i just couldn't move it and so finally you know my doctor says just hey go to a physical therapist and i just go well that's a therapist and i didn't i was not, <laughs> i was not embarrassed about going to a physical therapist why am i so you know hesitant about telling people that i'm going to a psychological therapist someone who's working on my in, inner world and uh, so I've, I've, yeah, I've worked pretty hard at, okay, this is my reality. I'm not going to hide behind this and I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. So, Dan, I feel like there's just such deep wisdom and also some extremely practical stuff in there in terms of like friendship and and what that looks, you know, what it looks like. But what would you how would you encourage um, a pastor who is, you know, thinking like, OK, I really need to just I, I need to find a friend like this needs to happen. Where would be a good place to start? Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, I, I or uh, for me, it started by going to therapy. And, and so I, 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 and I sometimes wonder, Doug, if I had found a friend before I did therapy, whether mm -hmm. or not that friendship would really be as healthy as my friendship with Scott turned out to be, um, that I'm, uh, th that I hadn't done some of my work. What happened for me, the, the reason I, I wound up going to therapy was that I recognized that much of the frustration that I had with my own father as a pastor growing up, I realized I was doing the same thing with my son uh, and my daughter. I was a workaholic. I, um, uh, I, I, I wasn't present to what was going on in their lives. Uh, my priorities, uh, my actual priorities of how I spent my time was not align aligning with what I would have told you were the priorities in my life, you know, God, family, vocation. That's not true. It was God, vocation, and probably vocation, God, and family. Mm. And 
And I realized what was happening with my children. And I realized their relationship to, to me, their relationship to God, their relationship to the church, um, uh, influenced, of course, by their mother's cancer, but also by my, um, my vocational uh, preoccupation. So um, I, I, hit a, I hit a very dark place. And I, went, I, I had a, a very close friend, and she said to me, she was a therapist, and she said, you need to go see, she told me the name of the guy. And I called him up. He said, come on in. And I, I went there on a, a snowy night in Portland, Oregon. And I sat there and I was there with him for three hours. Mm. And I walked out of there. You know, at the end of it, I said to him, uh, he said, Anything, any questions you have for me? And I said, um, do you think you can handle an Oxford PhD? <laughs> hmm. And he said back to me, it'll take me about three years to beat that PhD out of you. Mm, wow. And turn you into a human being. Oh, my stars. And um, it took about five years, actually. Mm. Um, and then I was ready for a friendship. Mm. And, um, and how do you find a friend? Like I said, I spent three years looking for one. I mean, mm. they don't grow on trees. It, it, it's, it's, it's hard work. Um, and and I I think it's sheer great. I I honestly I don't I don't know how I found Scott, but it feels it feels I have I have basically two friends in my life right now that that I meet with regularly. In fact, I'm you know right after we're done here, I'm going to go to lunch with with one of my friends. And and um, to me, it's grace. I mm. I was you know it's just grace. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know it's interesting because it feels like a lot of. A lot of the life of the pastor is, and just as a follower of Jesus, the, the further along we go, the more we begin to honor pain and the more we begin to kind of see what it is to walk with Jesus in the midst of suffering and the grace that's actually required in the midst of that. So like, you know, as, as you're thinking through, you know, even just, you know, life in the midst of pandemic and the pain and the suffering that has happened, like, what does it look like for a pastor to develop? a healthy understanding of, of honoring pain that's happening internally and externally. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I shared, I can't remember what I've said already, but I, you know, I, I come from a Lutheran tradition. I'm a prenatal Lutheran. My dad is a Lutheran. My mom's a Lutheran, you know, I'm, I, I, and I've never left Lutheranism for some reason, but the reason I would say theologically that I remain within that tradition is because of something a theology that's Luther's theology of the cross, mm. which is a, a theology that um, that says basically uh, uh, it, it compares a theology of the cross versus a theology of glory, and and you so that um, we live in a culture that is basically a theology of glory. It just, it says success success will tell you that God is on your side, and 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 if you don't have success. It probably means that God is not on your side. And Luther's theology of the cross flips that completely and says, if you want to prioritize where God actually is in the world, you go to suffering. God is present in suffering. God is there. And I think that part of what makes us, you know, as painful as suffering is, as, as, as hard as suffering is, as much as we want to deny the realities of suffering, Theologically, what allows me to stay present to suffering and hardship, even in my own life, 
is 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 my theology of the cross that I actually do believe that God is not absent in suffering, but God is present in suffering, even if I experience it as God's abandonment. Wow. So even thinking about being present, you know, having a theology of the cross, being present to the suffering, seeing God at work in there, uh, you know, pandemic has been quite an interesting suffering on a on a on a personal level on a church community level on a country on a, on a on the entire globe like what would how, how does church history maybe inform some of the stories of what it's like to minister to be alive and to be faithful in these times where Jesus may be at work in these spaces that, I mean again these are just such fantastic and and very very difficult questions um i um i think that because we do live in a culture uh uh that doesn't like pain and suffering that resists pain and suffering uh, that is probably the most pain death denying culture in the history of humankind mm. uh uh it we don't know what to do with these kinds of things and and so a couple, one thing not to do is to uh, do any kind of linking of the pandemic with with the judgment of God uh, mm. uh, that that somehow we're being punished for something in our lives. Um, I I I turn. I, I think one of the places we start, and this comes to me from a variety of places in my own journey, but one of the places we have to start is with lament and with grief. And uh, uh, Prophet Jeremiah, for example. Um, uh, who who watching what's happening to the people of Israel and to the people of Jerusalem just weeps and weeps and weeps and i and i do think um uh it, it starts with that sense of of grief and lament and sadness and wonder um hope that does not spring from lament and grief is almost always denial uh, can you say that again yeah, so hope that does is not rooted in lament and grief is almost always denial. Um, I see this. I mean, I, I saw this as we dealt with my wife's cancer, that, you know, everybody wants to be hopeful. You want to be hopeful. You want to be hopeful. And what my wife would literally say is, I need to weep for a while. I just need to, to weep about this reality. Um, and and I re I recognize in hindsight how healthy that actually was, because um, then once you grieve and weep, then hope means something. Mm. That uh, but when we fly too quickly to hope, then almost always we are in denial about what what's going on in our world. Mm. Wow, that's that's really that's profound, Dan. I think there's something that's so difficult about that. And, it's, and I, I appreciate how you called out and you named, we, we, we live in a culture that just kind of pushes towards success and glory. And let's just kind of jump to the good stuff. But even just to kind of stay, to, to have permission to stay there and to weep for a season is, man, that just feels really uncomfortable. But I'm sure there's a lot of pastors and folks listening who are uh, recognizing the difficulty of that. And also wondering about what life could be like if they actually stood there for a while and allowed Christ, you know, the risen Christ to meet them in their suffering. Because I think that's where he is. I think that's where he shows up. 
Absolutely. And and in in the grief and in the and, and as Christ comes to us in our death and in our suffering and hardship, Christ brings with him resurrection and Christ brings with him hope. But a, a place to go. I mean, I one of the things that I do every day is I read the daily lectionary and I always read the Psalms. And the Psalms are part of our daily lectionary or daily scripture readings. And when you start reading the Psalms, they are all over the map emotionally. <laughs> I mean, you've got you, you. It's not just the hardship and the and, and you know the questioning of God. You've got you know, you've got imprecatory Psalms where you go. I want you to go wipe this nation off the face of the earth. You know, and I'm just going, man. I don't understand, but I certainly understand the emotion of anger. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't take it like that, but I do understand the. I mean. So the Psalms are, are profoundly identifying with our emotion. So, you know, I I really appreciate the way that you have framed so much of of what it is to be someone who who has a theology of the cross, who actually steps into this stuff and realize that God is going to meet us in that space. And 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 that's that's not even a space to say like just get through it and it's going to be all good on the on the other side. But it's recognizing that. He's there in the in the midst of that, and that's where this hope comes from. Um, do you have any other like just thoughts in terms of as pastors are coming out? You know, some pastors are beginning to come out of post pandemic world into this new landscape where we don't even really know what what is all sh- what's going to all shake down. Uh, what are some practical ways for pastors to even just step into um, recognizing some of the own stuff? some of their own stuff that's happened in this season? One of my prayers uh, on a pretty regular basis, and, I, and again, I was taught this by my, 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 my therapist, my counselor, uh, uh, was never be afraid of reality. So to me, uh, I, I, I just want to enter into the reality of what's happening in any given moment. So I want, if, if, uh, I want to enter into the reality of the joy. I want to re- enter into the reality of the uncertainty, the reality of the mystery and un- unknowingness, etc. I think that one of the things that gives me hope, honestly, is um, I'm. I guess I would have to call myself an echo theologian at times. So um, I, I I practice the spirituality of gardening mm. and, um, uh, and 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 love being in my garden, etc. And I and I raise chickens. And so my chickens poop, and my chickens poop pretty regularly, actually. And, and uh, I think they poop more regularly than they lay eggs. But um, <laughs> you know, I take that chicken poop, and I I I, I let it uh, you know breathe for a while, and put it in my compost, and then I spread it on my garden. And that that shit, that crap, transforms the soil. Hmm. It transforms the soil so that things can grow. I think the hardship that we've gone through, the 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 manure that we've gone through, um, is actually going to ultimately. My prayer is that it will ultimately transform the gardens of our lives, the gardens of our churches. It will go into that earth, and it will be incorporated. The pain we don't get over the pain. The pain gets incorporated into our lives. It gets integrated into our lives, like manure gets integrated into soil. And, and, and that stuff that stinks and that stuff that we don't want and that stuff that's rotten, when it gets into the soil and when it gets into that and, 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 and it's dug in and it's incorporated, et cetera. And actually, this is, it, it transforms us. 
And that pain has the power to transform us. Uh, that that it when it when we integrate it, one of the most fascinating things is forgiveness. Uh, when we think about forgiveness, we think about getting over something. You know, we want to forgive someone, we want to get over it. And actually, I think that with grief and loss, we've, it's not about getting over. It's about incorporating. It's about integrating. It's about making it a part of our journeys. When I think about my wife's death, um, I don't want to get over her death. Why would I want to get over it? Mm. I want to. I want to integrate it. I want it to become a part of me. Uh, so she died on Good Friday. Um, every Good Friday, um, I, 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 I remember, but I incorporate her loss into my life. It, it's a part of me. It'll never leave me. It will always be a part of my life. And I, and I, and I think that that's that's what can happen. What's going forward now? That that this manure that we've been a part of, this hardship, this pain, this 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 loss, this grief, everything that we imagined, and we've lost a whole year of our lives, so to speak. All of these things that we can name ad, ad infinitum can become manure that can transform the gardens, the gardens mm. of our lives, the gardens of our communities, gardens of our churches. I hope the gardens of our 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 world and our and our country. Mm. Wow. Yeah, may may it be so. <laughs> may it be so. You know, you mentioned uh you mentioned briefly in the midst of of this conversation uh being a bit of a of an echo theologian. And so can, can you talk a bit so my first time ever hearing a Christian talk about uh anything with with creation care or anything was you in a class that I took. And so can you just talk a little bit about like what is what is what is ecotheology what does that look like how can pastors and churches begin to enter into caring for the world that God created Yeah this is <laughs> <laughs> in like 3 minutes yeah, no, I'm just kidding <laughs> so, As you know I actually I co-authored a book on yes. introducing evangelical ecotheology and I I Ching and there's yeah. my, my my major. It's a big big seller. Believe me, um, uh, I um, you know in our current time we you know we're 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 becoming much more aware of of some of the systemic uh, oppressions that exist in our world, whether it's racism, classism, sexism. We're just we're more aware of them, um, uh, and and how they influence each other. And how they they you know they're integrated with each other. To me, the the care of creation, of uh, uh, the environmental crisis that we're facing, is a part of what's happening in our world. It's a part of racism. It's a part of sexism. It's a part of of the unequal dis- unequal distribution of wealth throughout the world. Um, and and so for me personally, um, I my the lens that I put on. To go after other other uh, issues of justice is the lens of of creation care and care for the environment. I I consider that personally to be the the justice issue that I consider the one that God has drawn me to, and and but it's for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of uh, justice for uh, Black Indigenous persons of color for the sake of women and uh, around the world for the sake of the poorness and 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 especially uh within the global south etc so um that i mean so that's the lens that i put on and the way that i look at it then is is through the lens of of climate change the lens of 
bio, you know, the loss of biodiversity, the all all those kinds of things, uh, pollution, waste, food loss, how we grow our food, all of those things, uh, for me are issues of justice. And so uh, um, it's the primary lens that I use to examine uh, issues of justice. So you know, you have pastors who are thinking they're hearing this, or like, so Dan. What would it look like for me to, to 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 get my church involved in seeing this also as as a lens to see injustice or as a lens to to see God's kingdom moving and doing the recreative work of what it's called to do? Any practical thoughts other than plant a garden? Because I think that is a great I actually think that's probably an awesome practical thought. But yeah, well, I'd love I to mean, hear your on a personal perspective, I wouldn't downplay planting a garden. And, mm-hmm. and if you live in the city and stuff like that, to even just mm-hmm. have pots and stuff like that on a personal level there's i i there's nothing nothing wrong with that at mm. all actually there's there's actually quite a bit of biblical material for preaching tech <laughs> and it's really i mean so you might start with colossians 1 colossians mm. 1 15 to 20 Ooh. And where, I mean, which which actually is a very hard t- text you don't find a lot of evangelicals preaching on colossians 1 you know because you know it talks about christ's uh uh, uh death on the cross reconciling all things in heaven and on earth yeah Mm -hmm. what does it mean to reconcile all things we usually think of reconciliation from a human perspective Mm -hmm. we're reconciled to god through the death and resurrection of his son but 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 how do what is when paul says all things both in heaven and on earth uh, are reconciled uh, by god making peace through the death of his son what does that making peace through the death of his son look like Mm -hmm. how does that what does that mean for our, our creation we can start by preaching it and, and 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 instead of I would avoid politics. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I, it just doesn't get us anywhere. It's I a mean, good call. It, it it immediately becomes. I mean, I've seen a very powerful quote on how the environmental issue is is a deeply spiritual issue, and and I've put the quote up for my students, and then I've put the source of the quote, Al Gore, and students just they go from liking the quote to hating the quote. Wow, and I go. Uh, so th- th- that's the power of politics. So um, <laughs> I, I, I would I would stay away from the political situation, and mm. and 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 so I, I love art. I love. Let's just imagine a work of art. Um, you know, if I were looking at a Van Gogh, or I were looking at a Renoir, or I was looking at a a, a Rothko painting, and um, I'm standing there in a musician, and someone walks up and takes a knife and slashes that painting. De- destroys the work of art. They're they're also demeaning the artist. And and this world that God has created um, is is a work of art. And so creating it is to honor the artist. It's to honor the one the the artist who stands behind it all. And then to degrade it, to to demean it, to um, uh, is to demean and degrade the artist. So there's ways to get at this yes, <laughs> yes. and stay away from yeah. <laughs> Al Gore and, <laughs> and all sorts of things that just stir up because it's just get people riled up. You know, as soon as they, you know, global warming, oh, that's of the devil. You know, yeah. you know and I just, I, I don't, but it's hard. I, to be honest, it's very, very hard. Then I also tie it, honestly, last thing, because I know you don't, you don't need to, a lecture on this, but, um, the people who suffer the most mm. from environmental degradation are the poor. It's not us. Yeah. It's, yep. 
uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. We can buy our hybrid cars. We're going to, we're yep. going to sort this thing out. We can put solar panels on our roof, all these kinds of things. The people who can't do those things are the people in Mozambique and the people in Burundi and, mm. and the people in Uruguay, et cetera, who don't have, who don't have the kind of privilege mm. to be able to do that. So one of the strongest, one of the strongest reasons, ethics behind caring for the creation is that the poor are suffering disproportionately from decisions that have been made in the major in the first world. Hmm. Man, I, I wish we could just, you know what? I think I'll have you back on in a couple of months and we'll just do a whole thing on creation care. Um, but you know, our time's coming to an end and, uh, I would just, I'd love just for you to just pray for pastors. I mean, in, in, in the season that where they're, where we're in and just, if you could, if you wouldn't mind blessing and praying for our pastors, just as a way to end our conversation today. I would love to. Loving God, this is an unprecedented season, and um, it, it, has, it has brought us face-to-face with hardship and with loss and with grief, with uncertainty, with unknowing, uh, with our own lack of control, and we are humbled. And, uh, and I, I bring before you anyone who might be in leadership and listening to this podcast, I bring them before you, and uh, I lift them simply into your presence and ask that uh, you would deepen their awareness of, of your grace and your love and your, um, uh, the way that you have gifted them, and the, their, 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 that you would deepen an awareness of their unique vocation and call in this world. May you draw near to them uh, with this assurance that the hardship and the pain and the, the manure of their lives will, will be transformative and will, 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 will create within them uh, 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 a safe place for others to be nurtured and to grow and to thrive. And uh, I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And...